Hello, welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. This is your host, George Muniz Guns. Today, I have uh, one. I have a, a special guest back on the podcast. Uh, one of the first guests on this podcast, Maeve Montgomery. My first conversation with Maeve in episode sixteen was uh, a really great one. It's one of it's actually the episode with the highest amount of downloads currently almost 100 downloads oh. yeah <laughs> so um i have made back today we're going to talk a little bit about um the challenges with telling our friends and family about our narrow distinctness mm-hmm. um some misconceptions stigmas stereotypes that we that we face. Um, so without further ado, welcome back, Maeve. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back. I really appreciate it. Happy to have you back. Um, so uh, let's get right into it today. I'll um, start with my first question. Uh, so Maeve, what would you say is the biggest misunderstanding that your family and friends still have about your ADHD and what do you wish they understood better? That's a really good question. Um, I would have to say there, I have two points to this and both weirdly enough have to do with being a woman, I think with ADHD specifically. Um, the first just generally that it doesn't manifest in the way that people are used to ADHD looking and so therefore it's they might be little I don't want to say they say I don't have it but they're there there's a little more doubt Mm -hmm. and that I there's this need to have to like explain myself to prove my ADHD to someone um, just because it's not manifesting in the way that they expect it to manifest specifically for me you know I don't have to, I don't have um, attention issues mm-hmm. in terms of I can't sit still or things like that. That's really not, and that's what people are really used the to stereotype with yeah. ADHD. And it's, and I'm not saying which my brother who has ADHD actually mm-hmm. that is yeah exactly how it manifests yeah. for him. Um, but for me, a lot of it has to do with I have a lot of function issues in terms of. Mm-hmm. I, I procrastination is a really big problem for me being able to just get up and do things. And when I do get up and do things, almost having this hyper focus that then just, I then crash afterwards. Yeah. And that's really hard to deal with sometimes. Mm-hmm. And math, I think I talked about this in the last episode. Masking is a really big, yeah. um, thing for me. And I, and I'm trying to, I'm still trying yeah. to, handle that in a better way in a healthier way and it it's disappoint it's disappointing at times to have to explain to people to prove that this yeah. is this is how it manifests it's, it's i'm not mm-hmm. lazy yeah. i'm not trying to make up an excuse mm-hmm. it's just sometimes it's really hard yeah to do things and it and that's really how my ADHD manifests the most yeah i think it's hard for for people to understand with um, hidden disabilities that aren't like glaringly obvious, like um, for like compared to like someone in a wheelchair that has a physical disability, or and they're actually 
you know, that's a more visible physical disability because there are physical disabilities that aren't as visible. But Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I tend to, like one way I try to get them to understand that sometimes helps is I try to use a wheelchair analogy. I'm like, think Mm. of someone in a wheelchair that can't get up a set of stairs. Like that's what it's like for me with executive functioning sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And specifically, and this is the second part of what I was saying, mm-hmm. executive function and being, because I'm pregnant right now, has been quite a task <laughs> the yeah. last couple months mm-hmm. because I deal with the hormones of being pregnant, of being really fatigued. Uh, I get nauseous really easily and I lose motivation with just those two alone Mm -hmm. and then I already have executive function issues that it it's it's almost there are some times where those two ADHD and being pregnant just marry each other in a really disharmonious way Mm -hmm. (laughs) that um you know I just genuinely there are days that I cannot do anything and if even if I find the slightest bit of motivation one of those two tends to take over and makes it even harder. And, you know, it's not that any one of my friends or family isn't supportive of me during my pregnancy, but I wish sometimes they'd be a little extra sensitive Mm -hmm. because I'm also battling my executive function function Mm -hmm. a lot of the times. So those are probably the two top things that I wish would be, and they they marry each other. They're, they're, They're tied in. And I think it, a lot of women with ADHD could relate to that specifically because in a lot of the research that I've been doing um, the last couple months is that it's a, it's an issue for women. Yeah. That we just, we don't manifest it in the same way mm-hmm. that men do. Mm-hmm. And so we have to deal with already a lot of mansplaining <laughs> in the everyday mm-hmm. society. But we have to deal with people not always believing us Yeah. In, with ADHD and and how that manifests for us. Yeah, I think it's another point. um, And I try to uh, emphasize this on my podcast a lot as well about how just like autism, ADHD can present in different ways in different people, particularly um, women um, and people with other intersectional identities. Yeah. Um, because there's such a stereotype and it's the same thing with autism like it's this stereotype of the young autistic white male Mm. child yeah and it's like a non-speaking white male child and it's not to say like those autistics don't exist because they do but there's just such a variety there's like so much more to, to autism and autistics and uh, so many people and like well-intending good caring people still have this misconception of that you know autism has some sort of look yeah um and it really doesn't um it's like it there's sometimes depending on the person's support needs you might be able to to tell like to tell that they have support needs more than others but it's like there's so many people like that grow up being gaslit because their support needs aren't clear enough and they do such a good, they exhaust themselves to hide them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so 
It's really just yeah. that under like it's mm-hmm. a spe- it's called a spectrum for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people understanding the, the full spectrum. Yeah. You don't need to know every aspect of the spectrum. It's being open that you might not know it. Mm-hmm. And so when someone's saying, "Hey, I'm on this spectrum." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being being open to hearing what that means and what is needed for you to understand it and help be there and support yeah. that person. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause it can be, and I understand that like for a lot of people, because like I tell them I'm autistic and I don't match what they've been told or what they've been seen or in movies and TV about autism. Like, I understand that they're going to have that initial reaction of like being surprised and like, Oh, I didn't think so, or I wouldn't have thought so. But then it's also, you just, but then like, and and I do know that it, it is a good thing that it at least plants a seed. It's like, oh, okay, I didn't think of it that way. So maybe that person then begins to think of it that way. And of course, and unfortunately, there are still some people that will have, that will be stuck in their old stigmatized ideas and including medical professionals. Mm-hmm. unfortunately which is why so many, another reason why so many people still can't get a diagnosis but i mean i do think like one of the great things about um me being more open about it now is that i know that even with the people that might be a little more resistant to like engage in a conversation about it at first that at least it's going to plant a little a seed. seed yeah, yeah. And and maybe they'll be like thinking about it a little differently. And they will. They will. They will. Mm-hmm. Even if, even the I truly believe this. Even the most close-minded individual, once that seed's planted, even if it annoys them and it mm-hmm. itches at them, it it's a seed, and mm-hmm. it's it will it will grow in one way or another, yeah. whether you see it within that person or whether you see it with someone around them that it, it's once it's there, it's very hard to, for it to disappear. Yeah. And so that's, what's so powerful. I do think, and I think that's about your podcast. And I just think mm-hmm. about the way you interact with people in general, that it, it, it does something to help people better understand things, whether it's in the short term or the long run, mm-hmm. you know, and holding on to that. Some might argue that it's, um, a tad too idealistic but the optimism that it will it will do something eventually yeah yeah i think so too yeah um i think eventually you know it may take longer for some people than others but it does you know especially if it's someone that you do have somewhat of a relationship with uh even if it's more distant family or, or whatnot, but if you're seeing, like, they do have sort of a relationship with you, and I don't know, because I think a lot about, like, people that are reading the stuff on my Instagram, like, because I have people that read it, and I'm actually in constant contact with, and I'm in touch with, and I know that they're, like, absorbing, and they're receiving it, and they like it. Mm -hmm. And then there's some people that I don't hear from. I know that they see my stuff, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I've never had a conversation with them, but, like, I know that even if if they they're not taking it in in the same way as other people, they are taking it in in some way, and that's going to do something. 
Yeah. Exactly. And it's not necessarily forcing them. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. to it's not like yeah. shoving the spoon down exactly. their throat to yeah. make them mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. But the conversation's there. They yeah. can listen. And if that's all they can do right and maybe they're not even fully, fully listening, maybe there's a lot of things they're coming mm-hmm. up against just based off what they're hearing. It could be triggering in yeah. terms of what they've grown up knowing mm-hmm. and being around. And that's just a hard thing for anybody. Yeah, it's true. To really come up against is mm-hmm. that challenge of, you know, well, this is what I've always known and this is the opposite of what I've always known. Mm-hmm. And just growing out of that. And there's yeah. some people who have a mind where I would argue that you and I are some are those people that have an open mindset to mm-hmm. you know what I don't know everything yeah <laughs> and yeah. so mm-hmm. I'm going to be open and listen to what's going on and more people do get there eventually but it's yeah. a process it's, it's a, process. a heck of a process for sure yeah for sure yeah um my next question today is what have been the major break? What would you say have been some of the major breakthroughs with getting your friends and family to better understand you and neurodiversity in general? The biggest breakthrough recently is my mom actually listened to this podcast. She nice. listened to our episode, awesome. and I did not tell her about the episode okay. originally. I, you know, I was very nervous about telling uh-huh. family in general just based off of how they would react Uh Um, and maybe and wouldn't even be her specifically just in general I just didn't tell a lot of people Mm -hmm. Um, and she stumbled upon the podcast actually Uh um, because she's a therapist and you know just for work purposes Mm -hmm. and and personal growth purposes she was stumbling and she found it yeah and uh, I'll never forget she sent me a text she goes why didn't you tell me you're on this podcast Mm -hmm. (laughs) and she had this whole roller coaster ride and listening to it. Uh-huh. And at the end, she told me she was crying. Mm-hmm. And I asked her why. And she was just, she was like, you, I just, I, I loved everything you said. Uh-huh. And we had a really good conversation after that about a couple different people in our family having ADHD yeah. that I didn't even know. I, I found out recently that my grandma had ADHD. Wow. She just passed recently. But, wow. um, I had no idea and it actually manifested in a very similar way that it manifests for me, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and we just had a really, really good open conversation and she was, I, not that I didn't think she would be accepting, but I, she was just so accepting that it, uh, it made me rethink how I approach some people around it Mm -hmm. because Sometimes I think because I'm so used to not being gaslit. believed and being, being gaslit, gaslit and things mm-hmm. like that, that yeah. I am scared to go to the people that I most care about, mm-hmm. about it because I don't yeah. want them to treat me any, not that I think they would always treat me differently, but you just, that fear of rejection, mm-hmm. that fear of abandonment is so real. Yeah. And I think a lot of um, neuro distinct individuals might yeah, feel that. I, I certainly relate. And I'm, I was going to say, I think it becomes a bit of a trauma response. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that really just shook things up for me. And so that was a really big personal breakthrough that made me feel a lot. You know, even the last episode, I wasn't mm-hmm. comfortable saying I had ADHD. Yeah, I just I wanted to say neurodistinct. I remember. But after having that conversation with my mom, uh-huh. it really, 
I was, I felt a little yeah. bit easier to step into myself. Yeah. And well, so that was really good. Well, I'm really happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Huh. I mean, gosh, that's so great because that's like, uh, that's one of the main things that I hope this podcast uh, is doing like worldwide, like. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm so happy. Like, when I see, like, all the downloads I'm getting over... It's not because, oh, I have all these downloads. Like, oh, oh, I'm so popular or whatever. It's because, like, I'm helping all these people understand more about neurodiversity. Absolutely. So, yeah. Like, wow. Thanks for telling me that. Yeah, that's happening in real time, just so you know. It's happening in real time. That's so great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. Oh, my God. That feels good. Good. Um, It should. Mm -hmm. uh, Next next question up I have. What are some of the favorite gestures that make you feel loved and supported as an ADHDer? I love them. Honest, it's... It's helping me through things like right now, especially like I was saying earlier, being pregnant mm-hmm. um, and having an extra hard time. I feel that at times uh, people doing things for me, helping me with the little things, but not making me feel judged. Mm-hmm. It's it, the second. I think people who are neurodistinct in general have a, a high sensitivity to people not wanting to do things for them, not wanting to help them out. Um but doing it anyway mm-hmm. because it's the quote unquote right thing to do. Yeah. And I it almost makes me extra upset where I'm just like it's it's double double overstimulating where I'm like don't don't do anything then. Don't help me. Don't help mm-hmm. me. Don't help me. Because yeah. I don't your judgment is harder for me to process. Yeah. than me just trying to figure out how to do it myself. Yeah. And so when people actually help me with mm-hmm. no judgment is the biggest, yeah. is the, it, it feels so good. It feels so good. I certainly relate to that. Um, I really like it when, when I can actually feel like they're doing it because they literally do want to help. Exactly. And I hate it. I also hate it when it's like I'm making them do it. Exactly. Yeah, it just doesn't feel good. It's it doesn't. Like, yeah. And I'm sure even neurotypical people, mm-hmm. you know, feel the same way about that. It just does not feel good to yeah. have to make someone understand you, mm-hmm. to make them support you. Yeah. As opposed to their genuine want to be there, their genuine want to support you. Yeah. Um, my partner specifically, obviously through this pregnancy, has been such a big, big help. In terms of, and he has he has ADHD himself, so he mm-hmm. battles his own, you know, demons around yeah. that, and he's still able to show up for me. And maybe that's why, because he has ADHD, that he can understand yeah, that. Yeah, I I find that it has been a thing for me, like especially like talking to more neurodistinct people yeah. lately. I'm like nothing against my neurotypical friends, but. My neurodistinct friends just get me yeah. on a different level. Like, yeah. I'll be talking about certain something. I'll be venting about something that happened. And, like, my neurodistinct friends will, like, super understand, super supportive. And my neurotypical friends, I know that they're trying to be supportive in their own ways. Mm-hmm. But it's just, like, they don't 
they say all the wrong things. Yeah, you know? it's they, just because their brain doesn't work that it's way. It's just because their brain doesn't work that way, and that's fine. Um, but now it's just, it's interesting to kind of observe, like, observing these communication styles. I'm like, okay, if I'm having this sort of problem, it's best for me to go to this to person. Be, this person. Yeah. If, it, if it's this kind of problem, maybe I can go to that person. But I'm kind of starting to figure it out more. Like, okay, this is, is it going to be, like, because I know, like, um, my miracle, my, I'm just going to use Christina as an example. Um, hopefully this doesn't get me in trouble. I don't think it will. <laughs> uh, my neurotypical friend, Christina, for instance, like, there's just certain things that happen with me that are more related to my experience with having a neurodistinct brain mm-hmm. that if I go talk to her about it, I know everything she says to me is going to be with an intent of trying to make me feel better. But I know that just because of the way she tackles and approaches things, she might very well end up giving me advice that is just going to end up unfortunately triggering me more. Yeah. Um. So then I don't, then I'm like, okay, this is probably not the best topic to talk to Christina about. I can talk to Maeve or I can talk to Faina or I can talk to, you know, yeah. another neurodistinct friend. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important to recognize it in the way you just said where it's like, I know you're the good intention behind everything. But there's just sometimes, there are certain people you go to over other things. Yeah. And that's why community is so important. Mm-hmm. Not that community doesn't need allies. Because I would argue that people like Christina are a fabulous ally. But it's sometimes you really just do need someone who gets it without having to explain it all. And because when I have the brain Mm -hmm. with to explain it, I can't wait to have that conversation Mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I just don't have the brain with and I need someone who fully gets that I don't have the brain with. And... And that's so, and that's why commu- I just think community is so important, yeah, for you know. Sure. And that's what this podcast is too. Yeah. Not to keep mentioning mm-hmm. that, but to keep mentioning that. No, it's good. We should. <laughs> that it, it it really is a nice community to for people to relate at the at the at the bare minimum relate to the experiences that we're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Like I certainly relate to like you were just. Because there's certain things, you know, you'll say something and I'll be just, yes, yes, yes. And like mm-hmm. you just said, like about um, not having the energy sometimes yeah. to explain this stuff. Because mm-hmm. it's like... Especially when I'm already overstimulated. Yeah, because I'm already overstimulated. Like, you know, it's a situation like I just had a meltdown or whatever. And I'm like, I'm recovering from that. So I can't use extra energy on top of that to explain okay this is why i'm see this is how my brain processes this stuff yeah um and i'm just gonna use another example um one of our former and you know a little bit about i'm not gonna get into detail but one of our former teachers recently um i had a meltdown situation where I said, you know, I I had a little outburst um, online and, you know, it wasn't anything 
extremely like bad it wasn't like really derogatory or or anything like that but it was just like something I was frustrated about and I made a false accusation towards a former classmate on an online discord and I actually deleted it pretty quickly and then I posted a message apologizing and explaining you know a little bit of what had happened to me and you know I acknowledged that I shouldn't have voiced these grievances in in this space so I had already acknowledged like the meltdown had happened and I had already been able to break it down and to start learning from it but I was still in a very fragile post meltdown state yeah and uh, this person I understand that their intentions were not bad but this uh former teacher assistant teacher of ours that is actually also the person in charge of this discord um did the worst thing that you can do to an autistic person after a meltdown which is trying to punish them and make them explain everything in person on the no or like everything on the phone right away and that's just not because like when you're and i try to i talked about this in episode 86 too but when you're coming off of a meltdown you're so overstimulated like the first thing that uh, you need as an autistic person is space Mm -hmm. like the the best thing to do to support an autistic person after a meltdown first thing is give them space and make it so they're you tell them you can talk when you're comfortable to talk like to you know i'm here for you better than that i'm here for you when you're ready mm-hmm. like something like that because we just need first of all to calm down recenter ourselves and then when we're ready we should be able to explain what caused the meltdown how we felt why we felt this way and then after that is when ideally we would discuss outcomes and mistakes that were made and how do we learn from those mistakes yeah but she basically jumped right on to um saying that if i didn't call her or reach out to her to explain everything in detail that I would be subject to being permanently banned from the group. And this is um, a group from a school that, I mean, we were both part of the school and I was part of the school for two and a half years and they are well aware, they have been well aware that I'm autistic and I was actually a little bit extra frustrated in this situation because this person had read a few articles that I had written about autism and about meltdowns and about sensory overload. So I really felt in that moment, and now I understand that there were other circumstances involved that contributed to all this, but yeah, I felt in that moment that they should have known better and that they weren't being really considerate of the way my brain works as an autistic person. And I felt for a little moment there, especially in that moment that I was being told 
to give explanations right away when I am overstimulated coming down from a meltdown. I spent the whole day in bed the yeah. next day after that meltdown. I did yeah. not feel good. And it's like, and then it becomes, oh, because you caused chaos and you ruined uh, our day or this or that. And I'm like, excuse me, how about my day? Do you think it felt good yeah. having a meltdown? Do you think it felt good being in bed all day the next day? Like, we have to stop focusing just on the behavior and think about okay but like what led to that behavior like let's talk about what led to it and then let's talk about it and then let's let's discuss what we can learn from it and I just felt like it was way that made me feel worse that absolutely made me feel worse it got my anxiety rushing I was like unwell my sister thankfully was with me at the time and she was able to calm me down a bit um and she was also upset because and this is something that I eventually after a while I was able to get our teachers to understand yeah um but it did frustrate me how I was like okay they should have known like it's not like we it's not like I didn't study with them for two and a half years. It's not like they don't... They actually... Another reason I was upset is because they... From what I've been told, they actually have an autistic family member themselves. So... I was just alarmed. And I, I think it was also a little bit... It's hard to separate sometimes my personal side and like how I feel about them as as a former student, which is still very good. And my advocacy, my advocate side, which is like, I don't know, I hope I'm making sense. You are making Um, sense. No, you're making a lot of sense. And I do think, you and I have talked about it. I think it was a really big lesson for them. mm -hmm. You know, this is not making excuses by any means. I just think it goes to what we were talking about of people having ideas of how it is supposed to be handled and how it's not supposed to be handled. And... It was a really big lesson I th- in the moment, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, Yeah. on how do you handle these situations? How do mm-hmm. you, especially because you do, when, when you have the chance to, you do articulate yourself quite well. And so it, it really opens people's eyes up to their own ways of handling situations, mm-hmm. um, specifically with neurodistinct individuals. And they, it forces them to have a new approach. Yeah. And I think that's what that, as shitty as it is, apologies if that's a bad thing to say on this podcast, as terrible as a thing it is to have to be that one that teaches them, I think it, it almost, like you said, a lot of what you were experiencing and the reason you were, you were not fighting this, but the reason you were being so steadfast in how you felt about this mm-hmm. is because you're an advocate. Yeah. And that it was, I really do think as, and I feel so bad that you went through that experience in general. You know, you're right. It's not, you know, it's not fun to no. spend the whole oh my day God. in bed. Oh my God. And, yeah. and trying to decompress and trying to, you know, mm-hmm. just re-regulate yourself. But it, I do think it helped future students and 
um, even current students, you know, in terms of how do we handle these situations? Yeah. Because I do think you were probably one of the first to really, you know, yeah. go in that direction mm-hmm. with them. And so I, I do think as, as terrible as it might have been, I do think the end outcome of it all had a lot of pros. I think so too. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it's certainly not an experience that I would want to repeat. It's not something that I enjoyed by any means, but I know that it did result in a lot of learning, I think, for a lot of different people. I agree. Yeah. 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 Um, And I guess... um, not that we're kind of like slightly in the the realm of acting again my it's i'm i'm going to transition in to my next question uh which has a lot to do with that mm-hmm. um it's what do you wish um directors and casting agents understood better about neurodiversity that's a good one um i just and this goes across the board. Whether you are neurodistinct or neurotypical, I'm not a fan of, when it comes to auditioning specifically, I'm not a fan of the assembly line model hmm. when it comes to seeing people. I don't think it cultivates the best talent mm-hmm. or the best audition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, and I understand it, I get you've got a lot of people to see. You got a lot of things to do. You got a lot of decisions to make. But if your goal is to get the best person for the job, then you have to handle people better. Yeah. Um, I not I don't think it's always fair that if you don't have a sparkling personality within thirty seconds of meeting me, that it is a it is a definition of my talent yes oh my goodness absolutely 100 percent. because i don't know you might have heard about this i'm not sure if i've told you about this Mm. but this hits very hard for me because i had a bit of a discussion an unpleasant back and forth by email with my agent maybe six months ago or something because I had, um, she had asked, I had this audition and she had asked, there's a little bit of a backstory, but I'm, I'm gonna, um, I'm just gonna start from this point. Yeah. Uh, so I had this audition and I needed to send it in to the casting director and with this particular audition, she had asked me to send it to her before sending it to the casting director. Um, so I did that, and uh, this one was basically a typical audition where you have, um, for those that aren't familiar with this, with self-submission auditions, you have a, a slate, which is usually like five or ten seconds long, which is you say mm-hmm. your name, uh, location, uh, sometimes if you're vaccinated or not, stuff like that. Um, and then you have the actual audition that comes right after it. Now. This is actually taught in the uh, business class that we take right after the our formal training. Um, but I think I, just in this moment, I didn't 
really remember this exact teaching because it's kind of a very neurotypical bias thing, mm. which is this whole thing about share um about showing personality during the slate. Mm-hmm. Um and I just because my brain works in a way that I take instructions very literally, I just take, you know, the slate I've always viewed up until that point, I've always viewed it as the purpose of the slate is being to tell them your name and where you're from. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have like I never thought it had to have any juice because I've always felt like the juice is for the audition. Yeah. Um so then it was a slate it was one of those slates um that was very standard, you know, it was just like I was basically saying my name and my location and then I had the audition which had more of the juice or what not what they were asking for in that specific audition. Yeah. And so my agent writes me back from after I sent her that video of the slate on the audition saying that the audition looks good but uh the slate is terrible. I look like I wouldn't be any fun to have on set or don't have any fun in life. And that just that that was Does your super agent know that ins- you have autism? She does. Uh. It was super insulting, super offensive to me. I literally it felt like I I could have like gosh, I got so I don't get this yeah. angry often. I was angry. Yeah. I was like, I almost wanted to call her and like, I'm glad I did not do this, but I could have called her and like, I mean, in that very moment, that is just downright ableism. And so especially as an advocate, I was fuming. I was like, yeah. I could have called her and just let her have it on the phone, but I didn't. I did the, thankfully I was able to calm myself down and do the smarter thing which was to send an email mm-hmm. um a, a polite cordial but stern email expressing how i was fed that what she had just said was very offensive and and disappointing um and i don't think and it was a little frustrating because she didn't really understand at first yeah. she was pushbacky and gaslighty um but Eventually, she did understand when I I explained to her, like, okay, like, you see, I have the privilege, even though this isn't, I have the privilege of being able to mask, even though this this isn't something I enjoy or or people that mask tend to enjoy by any means, because it's exhausting, it's still a privilege because there are people. Exactly. That that can't mask. And so I started, and then I told her, and I think I put it in a way that was very uh, clear and made it easier for her to understand. I told her that, you see, as an advocate, what if I have someone come up to me, someone that's high support needs, someone that's non-speaking, say, hey, I really like your work. I'm really inspired by your podcast and your acting work. Um, I want to be an actor like you. I want to tell them that they can do it. And I can't trust myself telling them that they can do it if this is how they're going to be met by the industry. Exactly. Um, And I think that got her to understand. And then it was like, we're good on that now. Yeah, I think it's really important mm -hmm. because, you know, 
for those listening that, okay, well, how should you handle that situation? It's very much asking the approach is what's such a triggering experience. It's not like mm-hmm. she couldn't ask you to redo your slate. Yeah, I could have redone the slate. But it's how mm-hmm. you ask. It's exactly. how you saying, I, you know, if mm-hmm. they had approached you and been like, I know this, this specific part is a little more difficult. How can we figure out to make it work for you? And I mm-hmm. think that's a really important approach across the board for directors, casting directors, agents. As we start to step into this world, which we need to step into, yeah. of actually, and I love that it's happening. I love that you know when it comes to casting, we're really rethinking how we cast. Mm-hmm. We, if we're going to have an autistic character, we're going to have an autistic actor. If we're going to have, you know, a dark-skinned character, we're going to have a dark-skinned actor. You know, um, with whatever the situation mm-hmm. is, we're going to be more truthful to to what it is and what what is needed and in order to do that mm-hmm. how you cast has to be different than how you've been casting in the past and i think everyone can learn it's not just who you're casting that has to be different it's how you handle your casting you have to i really do i'm not the biggest fan in general of um and I've talked about this plenty of times with all kinds of people. I don't like filmmaking is such a big orchestra. It's mm-hmm. such a big production. And I do truly understand that actors are just a very small piece to it. But they are the storytellers just as much as the editor is. Mm-hmm. And you have to hold in the same respect you would hold an editor on a film set and a director on a film set, you need to hold the actor as well. Yeah. You need to understand how important getting that message across is, and you need to hold space for that creative process yeah. that does fall a lot of times solely on the actor to be able to put up. Yeah. And I know this is a really tall order <laughs> for the industry, but I do think it's it's such an important conversation to be having with people as as we do step into this new realm of honest casting yeah of more progressive casting mm-hmm. of and and just really holding space for everyone yeah not just in terms of casting the correct people but making sure you're actually doing what's best to get the best out of your talent yeah. because you're you don't know what you're missing by not doing that. Yeah. And it's just as simple as mm-hmm. changing the way you talk to somebody. Exactly. Just like that. Just like little things like that. And this is reminding me of uh, an interview I saw recently with Chloe Hayden. That is an autistic ADHD actress in Australia. And she did um, a show that I really enjoyed re- last year. came out, Heartbreak High. Mm. on Netflix and actually I highly recommend it because it has the best autistic representation that I've ever seen and I think that it starts with the fact that they've casted an autistic person an autistic advocate as well because she does great advocacy work um, to play an autistic character but they also uh, she was talking about how the writers had several meetings with her to make sure they were getting the representation right. Good. 
and they also made accommodations for her on set. They let her um, tell them what kind of accommodations uh, she needed, and she didn't get into details, but she did say that those accommodations didn't cost any extra money, didn't add any significant time, anything like that, and it actually helped everyone on set. It ended up yeah. helping out everyone. So it's like people need to understand too, like making certain accommodations, it's not just to help your the folks that need these accommodations the most, but it ends up helping everyone else too. Yeah, people will follow the lead. Yeah. That's why, mm-hmm. that's why it is so important that the directors and the producers and the people making these decisions are the ones to start it because it is a, it's a trickle-down effect. It really is, and it, it makes it so much more enjoyable. It makes it so much more fulfilling yeah. because at the end of the day, why we do this is for creative fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we want to make some money yeah. doing it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we want you know to put up something good, but so much of why people are in this industry has to do with creative fulfillment. And if you knew that you could have done better with that, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. I, it's really good. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, well, yeah. I think those, those are all the, the questions I had on my end. Uh, I don't know if you, you had anything else you wanted to talk about on your end, but... I don't think so. I mean, I just, I love these little talks that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think they're so important. Uh, I think that a lot of people can relate. Like I said, that's the bare minimum of the goal of just people being able to relate. But also, I appreciate the... I'm I'm a big advocate for killing them with kindness mm-hmm. and not you can be kind and firm at the yeah. same time mm-hmm. and I think these little talks are a really good example of being that yeah. of, of, of kind of compassionately yeah. being firm on what is needed to help move the pendulum yeah. to a better world at the end of the day for everybody because honestly so much of the world is made up by neurodistinct individuals so much of it it is there's a lot more there's a lot more than people realize there's so much more and there's specifically in the creative arts i specifically we we're we're Mm -hmm. all we're all in here we're all in here we're all in here yeah and so i i think Mm. it's a really important to talk about especially since i'm someone who does mask Mm mm-hmm and I, I'm sure there's a bunch of us in the creative arts that do that. Yeah. That you don't have to do both. You don't have mm-hmm. to, you don't have to mask and be an artist. You can, you can be just an artist. Just period. An artist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just I really appreciate you having me on again to be able to talk about it in that way. Of course, yeah. I really I enjoy having. I appreciate having you on as well. Um, yeah, this has been, once again, a really great episode. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode as well, and I'll see you next time.